if anyone ever makes you do Clifton Strengths and only gives you the top five, demand to see the 34, the all 34, because you need the full picture. Because it's not just about the top five, it's the top 10. It might be the top 12 that matter. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Nick VGA, owner of Rising Tide Security and former CISO at ID.me, DigitalOcean, and former CIO at Gemini. He's talking about Clifton Strengths, which at first glance is yet another one of those tools that employers use to determine the personalities of their employees, ostensibly to help employees better communicate and work with one another. What sets Clifton Strengths apart is the fact that it does not claim to speak to what you are good or bad at. Instead, it speaks to where you get your energy and where you feel drained. It's a very different perspective. It's also scientifically both valid and reliable, for the most part. A fact that I can claim based on research into scientific studies, the results of which I had to have my neuropsychologist wife actually help me understand. Join Nick and I as we walk through this system of personality measurement and listen in as Nick takes my profile apart. Yes, I took the questionnaire to generate my own scores as well. Nick, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. My pleasure, Alan. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. All right, so you and I have had quite a lot of conversation about this one before the show. And it's all about Clifton Strengths, which is one of those many, many, many personality measurement tools that you see in the workplace. And it happens to be one you prefer. We're going to dive into that. But I wanted to tell the audience first, neither one of us is affiliated with, uh, I believe it's Gallup who owns Clifton Strengths. Neither one of us are licensed or trained Clifton Strengths Thinators or whatever they're called. But you happen to be someone who's used this to real effect in the workplace. And I happen to be somebody who geeks out on these things and loves to, because I'm married to a neuropsychologist, really get into the validity and reliability and the scientific um, validation, basically, of these kinds of tools. And I was very pleased after we talked about Clifton Strengths to dive in and do a boatload of research and to discover that, hey, they've actually got a really high reliability and validity. We'll get into that in the show as we progress. But just know that versus other ones like, say, oh, I don't know, one that might rhyme with Friar's Ledge, this one is a lot more scientifically backed than some of the other ones. And this one actually has a lot of studies validating and, and proving up that it's a, it's a sound system. So I just wanted to get that disclaimer and intro across the board. So let's dive in, Nick. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in cyber and a little bit about your day job? Yeah, absolutely. Background in cyber, I mean, it started as a comm engineer for the New York Stock Exchange. Kind of an intense place to start. And not to mention four months before 9-11, which was a really eye-opening experience, uh, the ultimate in BCP. And as a comm engineer, we, uh, you know, the entire network was down, everything was gone. So that was, uh, that was my introduction to the professional world was, uh, wow. 9-11. Holy cow. <laughs> pretty, pretty crazy. My, I, I was going through the security cordon to vacuum gypsum powder out of Bay Networks equipment was my job at the American Stock Exchange oh my for, a goodness. Of, for a couple of days. Yeah, it was crazy. But I was lucky. I uh, I didn't sit next to the comm engineering team. I was sitting next to the pen testing team. Mm. I was like, you guys are doing some cool stuff. And um, a gentleman by the name of Al Berg uh, became a mentor of mine, uh, taught me uh, a lot of the security things and brought me into the team. Um, he then moved on to a company called LiquidNet and brought me over there. And my like second week there sends me to All Good Tennessee to go learn bug sweeping. 
And it was a really, you know, we, we did security at, at every level. It was the physical security, the risk management, the AppSec, the, you know, security engineering, the uh, security operations, investigations. Like we really did soup to nuts and really took the broad approach to security. And that's really the foundation of everything that I've done since then. And so, you know, along the way, you acquire things like learning how to do budgeting and learning privacy and, and all that did a lot built up security program at DigitalOcean as like their first security hire. And, you know, you've got to deal with privacy there and you got to deal with law enforcement there. And it's been a really interesting journey. And then did the CIO thing at Gemini because I wanted to understand why CISOs and CIOs don't get along. Ah, Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a really interesting, you know, fast moving environment and a really interesting learning experience having been in financial services. But Spoiler alert, I came to realize it was all about operating rhythms. So it, uh, always happy to chat more about that one, but that's a whole, I think that's a whole other show. That, that's um, a show we should get into. <laughs> and I'm going to make a mental note to ping you when we get into that one. That is a, that is a topic I would love to address more. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And then, and then most recently I was at IDME, um, building out their security program there. Um, and, uh, and, and I've been using the Clifton Strength side as a way of, figuring out how to, you know, build those effective teams and mentor and find how people can lean on each other. And especially in this remote world where you miss a lot of the, um, the opportune moments to have conversation to build an understanding around who someone is and what motivates them, drives them, amps them up, drains them. Clifton Strengths was a really interesting way of dealing with that. Got introduced to that through an executive coach that I met through Yaron Levy, right on. who uh, who unfortunately passed away last June. But his whole coaching practice was based on Clifton Strengths, and I just really now I geek out on it. I love it. I think it's a, a great way to to talk about yourself and to understand how to operate. Yeah, I just shared my Clifton Strengths results with my team, my direct reports. I shared it with them today as like, a, here's how to manage your boss better. <laughs> and we talked awesome. a little bit about it. And and I guess like that's the first thing for our listeners, like, you know, what separates Clifton Strengths from your Myers-Briggs, from your disc and some of these others? I think there's a lot of things out there that purport to tell you, here's what you're good at and here's what you're bad at. What's one of the, what's, what's some of the big differentiators with Clifton Strengths versus some of those other models? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing is with a lot of these other models, it's about putting a label on you. Mm-hmm. You are X, you're disc, or you're, a, you know, you're here in disc, you're, you're an influence. If you're in Myers-Briggs, you're one of 16 things. Right. Humans are so much more nuanced than that. Right. And I also, I don't, I don't like being in a situation where I'm telling someone in advance, take this test and it will tell me what box you belong in. Right. It's infuriating. It's not something that gets people excited. It's something that people dread. And I think the the thing with with Clifton Strengths is it's really about it's not on a scale of good to bad. It's on a scale of what energizes you and amps you up versus what drains you and requires a lot of intentional effort. And that to me is a super critical point because some of the others, it's not just that they're putting you in a box. They're actually telling you here's what you're good at and bad at. And Clifton is just simply saying here's where you're inclined or disinclined, which is a big difference, right? Yeah, it's what you'll be drawn to naturally, you know, but again, it's all about intentionality. And so, you know, using this and and being able to say, this is how I can talk about myself in a way that isn't going to lead to a ton of bias, but helps people operate better, I think is really important. I mean, for me, I I think to your point, right, you brought this to your team and you said, hey, here's, here's Alan. (laughs) And uh, 
here's how you manage me. Yep. Well, I mean, I did the same thing. I, I said to my team, I was like, listen, I have ideation at number two. I'm an idea factory. I need you to tell me when I'm crazy. Right. I have an idea every 10 minutes. It's just going to go nuts if you don't if you don't tell me to stop. And I try to stop myself. I try to control myself as much as possible. But it gives me an ability to make it okay for them yeah. to use a language to call me out mm-hmm. that isn't something that's going to be like an amygdala hijack, you know, fight or flight type of response. Yep. Yep. No, that's exactly it. And that's, that's exactly the spirit in which it was shared with my team just this morning, in fact. And it's, you know, I'm managing not just a security team, but a development team, right? I'm a CISO slash CTO and I've got an entire R&D organization. And that idea factory thing does not jive well with an R&D mission. It's, it's a very different, you know what I mean? Like product management is supposed to vet all the crazy ideas and distill them down to the two we're actually going to do for this cycle or the three or the 10 or the whatever it might be, but it's distilled down. Craziness isn't allowed in that mix, right? Once it's distilled, okay, now we're going to go into our quiet corners and we're going to create these things we agreed we're going to create. And the idea factory thing does not go so well with R&D. So I was like, here, this will help you better understand how my brain works. <laughs> and you guys can call me out, like you said, in, in, a, in a language that works. So I, I found it to be super useful for that. So I mentioned at the, at the intro a little bit about validity and reliability. I thought real quick, if you don't mind, I'm going to get into some of this. And this is, you know, go my wife, it. the neuropsychologist. I had multiple conversations with her about, about this one and some of the other tests that are out there as well. Reliability is is basically the notion of internal consistency and what they call test-retest reliability. In other words, can I say that the test is actually consistently applying its methodology? If I take the test today and I and I get the following results and I take the test in six months, do I get the same results? If I take it in a year, do I get the same results? That's kind of a test-over-test reliability quotient. And the internal consistency is measured by this thing called, and I'm going to look this one up to make sure I don't get it wrong, Cronbox Alpha. And we'll get a little bit into that, but basically know that it's a complex mathematical formula for statistical analysis to look at reliability. And its output is basically a number between 0 and 1, and anything 0.7 and higher is considered to be, okay, that's reliable, right? So they took apart Clifton Strengths. And they hit it with all this stuff. And lo and behold, pretty high degree of consistency, test over test. They've done different studies with two tests and even three test studies. Really good consistency. As far as those Cronbox numbers go, Clifton Strengths and, and Nickel share some of this with you. Breaks down into a lot of categories. It's not the 16 buckets. It's it's, it's a, a huger list of strengths. And they took every single one of those strengths apart and did the Cronbox analysis on them. And the vast majority of them are higher than 0.7, even the ones that aren't. Like I looked at my own personal score and I think the lowest Cronbox alpha was a 0.69, which is like right there on the edge. Like, and the best were up in the 80s. So all in all, high degree of reliability. Now, validity is kind of a, a another argument of does it actually measure what it claims to measure? And that's a little bit trickier because if you've invented the first ruler ever, how do you prove that it's measuring an inch? You have to have other things that say what an inch is. And so validity is done through a couple of means. One is congruence with other models that are considered to be established and validated. So they've looked at other things like the big five, 16PF, CPITM. These are models that aren't in the corporate workspace, but more in the uh, neuropsychology realm. And they've compared this one to those and discovered there's a pretty good high degree of consistency. In other words, there's a validity from external means. If five rulers agree that this is an inch, eh, it's probably an inch kind of approach. And then there's also internal clustering, which is a whole other thing we can get into. XY grid and likelihood of things to travel in packs. And then you test multiple people and see if the same you know systems emerge and the same coincidences emerge and the clustering emerges. So basically all these kinds of tests have been conducted against Clifton Strengths. It was found for the most part uh, in most of the categories to be 
uh, legitimate, both reliable and valid from a scientific method. So for those who question these things and, and you know, are suspicious about them, know that this is one of the stronger examples out there based on all the research I was able to do and bouncing these things off my neuropsychologist wife as well, who was like, why are we doing this? <laughs> but we had fun and we geeked out and I got to learn what a Cronbox Alpha is. So let's get into the realities of it, where the rubber meets the road. How have you used this to manage your teams? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, Back it up one second. Yeah. Did you have your wife take it? Uh, she has not yet. I have. Uh, and one of the guys on my team so far, like I was telling him all about it, he just got excited and geeked out on it and volunteered and did it yeah. and sent me his. I'm about to pay for the whole team to be able to do it too. And I'll, I'll, I'll get I'll get my wife to do it as well. We'll we'll get her in the get her in the mix. It's a lot of fun. So the way I've used it with my teams. Uh, so we talked about it a little bit originally. One is about having that that language, right? How do you how can, how can you talk about someone in a, and help them have a little bit more self awareness about an action in a certain situation? So there's there's one thing about that, one aspect of it from for that. It's been really interesting having an entire team take it, and then you you map out where the strengths fall in different teams mm -hmm. and trying to understand, you know, I think a security and risk management is a very broad thing, right? You've got your, your engineering mindset, you've got your investigations and observe observation mindset. You've got your, you know, your governance risk and compliance side of the house. And you've got your, I, I even have physical security usually, you know, and so it's, you know, how do you start understanding where those patterns are? or identifying the patterns. And so, you know, having an entire team take it, you start to map it out and you start seeing some really interesting commonalities. Like my entire cybersecurity team had analytical in their top 10. Okay. Almost all had responsibility in the top 10. Okay. Well, right? I, yes, it's the noble profession, yeah. the noble calling, right? We are here Absolutely. to defend and protect. So you start to see these like shapes, right? So you're talking about kind of that, that repeatability. And while like a, a strength might, flip-flop with another. So there are four categories. There's executing, influencing, relationship building, and strategic thinking are like the four categories that the 34 strengths mm -hmm. fall into. And you start looking at like, hey, what are the shapes of these different teams? So you have a, you know, an operations and investigations team. They're very heavy on executing and strategic thinking, right? Not as heavy on influencing. The uh, GRC team, super heavy on influencing, heavy on relationships and heavy on strategic thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, and so you start to see these these commonalities and these shapes pop up. Like my GRC team was like almost everybody was really high on strategic. Interesting. Right? They kind of have to be, or yeah. they were really high on relator. They were really high on uh, communication. Interesting. Right? Um, and so it was, it's just a really interesting mindset. You then take this to the next level of saying like, well, how do I use this for someone who's working on something who needs a little bit of a leg up. Mm -hmm. If I'm working on something and I have communication super low, if I go to somebody who has communication much higher, words and meaning are come to them much more naturally and they're things that energize uh -huh. them and ask them for some mentorship or some partnership, you can find that so quickly yep. instead of having to be like, know that person for over a year and finally deduce yourself. Right. Oh, that person's really good. That's where I can lean on them. Right. I could literally walk into a team and say, hey, you have this, like, let's talk about it and see how we can partner together. See how we can jam out. Can yeah. Help me. Yeah. Like you and I love nerding out on this. Yeah. Like I know that I, I can reach out to Alan and nerd out on this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People who have different, 
uh, strengths that are higher up. Those are the things that energize them, usually the things they love nerding out on. I love it. So now, and I think the really important thing in all of this too, is that, you know, we talked about early on that the things that are, that are higher up are things that energize you. The things at the bottom are things that drain you. It's, but it's not on a scale of good to bad. Right. Something that can, that is high up can also be not good. Like you could actually be really bad at it. Right. So I used the example of ideation before. The ideation in a good way is harnessed. It's optimized. You're, you're, you're using it. If ideation is this id running around in a basement, right? Right. Just bouncing off the walls. That's bad ideation. Right. So something that's high up can be spectacularly good or spectacularly bad. Right. And that's why you can't just take this and go, oh, yeah, that's what you're good at and like walk away. Right. It's like, right. no, that thing could be extremely detrimental. Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, like whatever. I, I love racing cars. That doesn't mean I'm not crashing into the wall every 30 seconds. Just because exactly. I love it doesn't mean I'm good at it. Right. Let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. And there's another aspect to this, too, that I always am a little bit fascinated by because, again, it's not you are in this box or you are in that box. One of the things I don't like about Myers-Briggs is, um, like, and I'm an ENTJ, according to Myers-Briggs, as you put together your individual scores in Myers-Briggs, you see that you're very strongly E or very lightly E or whatever, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you're now an E, not an I, and you're kind of in a box, right? And Clifton Strengths is about relativity within the one person. And in other words, uh, your number one could be dramatically number one, or it could be just a little bit more than your number two, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just all about sort of a, a, a nuance there that I think is interesting as well. Like you can get into and read and dig, but at the end of the day, it, it's it's a treating the human as a complex system with a bunch of relativity. You may have somebody who's a strong, like you said, ideation. Let's say you got five people in your team that are a strong ideator. One could be yep. really, really, really good at it. And the other four could just be like, yeah, this is kind of what I do, but maybe not that same level or category of it. But then whatever their number two is might be much stronger than that primary ideator's number two, right? So that's, I like that aspect of it too, that it's, it allows for gradation, right? Yeah. It's nuanced. Yeah. It's not, it's not just a formula. It's, it, and, and how you interpret it and how you work your way through it, I think becomes a really you know, important process mm -hmm. in discovery. So yeah, no, totally agree. All right. So we align our working life with our strengths is kind of the strategy here. And and I love this this idea that you're going to do it for the whole team. And I also love this idea that within cyber, you find these trends, right? Like it's, it's sad that paranoia is not one of the 34 strengths <laughs> because I suspect that would be a little high in cyber as well. But that's, again, where it gets really interesting. I'm, I'm making a, a flippant remark here, but it's not about personality traits. It's about habits. It's about 
the doing more than the what you are. Because you could be paranoid and have a strong ideation. You could be paranoid and have a weak ideation. One is what you are and one is what you do. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really important distinction as well, that this can still overlay with personalities. This can still overlay with, you know, distinctions about what you are really, right? Like like it's a what you do versus what you are. And, and I think that's really compelling as well. So any more thoughts on it? I've got my profile here. I've got mine that I dug up and I even put my uh, Chromebox alphas on my top five scores here to make sure that they were uh, valid. You got yours as well, right? So um, <laughs> you're laughing at me, like. <laughs> well, I mean, I, so before before jumping into it, I mean, I think there's there's a couple of the like one the example I, I've given to people when I try to describe this is I use Woo as an example, yep. and the reason I, I and I love the fact like you have Woo at number one. Yes, I am. I am like, a number one Woo. You will <laughs> you will understand by explanation of Clifton strengths that I give to people when I'm trying to describe it that. Woo is, you know, people like, you know, winning people over, mm-hmm. right? But someone who has woo really high usually likes if you go to a dinner party mm-hmm. or a, a cocktail hour or what have you, and you have woo really high, you're going to walk out of that cocktail party amped up. You're going to want to go like, let's go to the after party. Like, let's yes. go talk some more and, and, and find some more people. Someone who has woo really low can go to that cocktail party, they can make small talk, etc. but they're going to walk out of that exhausted, mm-hmm. tired. You don't want to go to the after party. You're like, I just want to go to bed. Right, right. And, and it's not to say that you were bad at the small talk or the interactions. It's just that they were tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll go into that a little bit more, you know, as we go through the things that are in our bottom, because we, we have some, we have a lot of similarities at the bottom. Okay. Interesting. So you'll be able to relate to that, but, um, but yeah, so that's, you know, kind of how I, I, I describe, um, you know, how this works. It doesn't mean you're bad at it or good at it. It just, it's what amps you up and what drains yep. you. Yep. And, and I'm definitely the one who at the party goes and meets everybody. Like yep. I, I just was at a gathering last night. In fact, a whole, whole room full of people I'd never met before. And by the time I was done, I had like eight new LinkedIn connections and two promises to hook up and talk to this guy about this other thing. And, you know, just, you know, yes, I'm a wooer. And I think it ties into why I'm a podcaster as well. Quite honestly, I get to make a new friend every week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we also have communication at number three, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, you are someone who likes words, who the words come naturally to you. You like to talk, you like to communicate, you like to write things down. Yes. You like to, you know, all these things are, you know, these are things that, that are extremely valuable in influencing. Yep. All right. Well, why, right? why don't we dig into this? I'm going to let you take this yeah. apart and do this. So Woo is my number one <laughs> with a Cronbox Alpha of 0.76 to 0.80. We're going to call that a totally reliable measure that Woo is my number one. Let's let's. I mean, I think we've already proven it anyway in this conversation. <laughs> Anecdotally, we all agree. <laughs> yeah. So Woo is number one. Um, do we want to like, how do we want to do this? We can get into what the Woo is and and talk about, you know, I've got the whole report in front of me here. It, it, it talks about instinctively this and by nature that, like how, how do we want to dig into this? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, honestly, like, I, so just for the benefit of the listeners, like, you know, so the top five in order for Alan are Woo, strategic, communication, positivity, and activator, right? And I think the other important thing too here is that, um, you know, Clifton Strengths traditionally, they're like, here's your top five. Right. If anyone ever makes you do Clifton Strengths and only gives you the top five, demand to see the 34. Right. The all 34. Because you need the full picture. Because it's not just about the top five. It's the top 10. It might be the top 12 that matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. 
and I, we can go through and just kind of give a, I can give a quick understanding of kind of what some of these things are. We already talked about Woo briefly. Yep. Well, and, and also I, I want to mention, you mentioned the top 10. I believe when you get the full report, they actually tell you focus on the top 10, not just the top five, that there's actually a top yep. 10 and everything else is almost their more approach. Yep. So my six through 10, I'll rattle them off real quick for anyone who cares. Sure. Restorative, futuristic, empathy, achiever, and ideation. Um, so, all go. right, so we've covered Wu. So, so what is strategic? Help me understand strategic in the Clifton Strengths model. So strategic, people who have strategic thinking and futuristic and they're like top 10, I, I like to try to tell people that your brain goes fast. Like you, act, you see the picture very quickly, mm -hmm. right? So futuristic is about, do you have, can you see far away? Mm -hmm. But someone who has futuristic without strategic sees a thing far away, but has trouble figuring out or, or coming to all the steps in order to get to that thing that's far away. Okay. Okay. So you might have a vision, but the execution of how you get to that vision is the challenge. Got it. It becomes difficult. So strategic thinking is really about how do you put the pieces of the puzzle together in order to get to that strategic, in order to get through that strategic plan? How do you put the pieces of the puzzle together? Okay. Okay. So if futuristic is the letter Z, strategic is A through why. Okay. I get it. Right. Okay. And so it's really, you know, but what I, I tell people is that especially when you have, you know, if you have a lot of the strategic thinking traits, if you don't have that self-awareness and you're with people that don't have those, you're running down the road as fast as you possibly can. And they're just standing there and they're not keeping up. Right. And having that self-awareness that like, oh, I need to slow it down. I need to break it down a little bit more becomes really important. Yep. Well, this is this is back to the the R and D team, right? If I'm doing the strategic and in my top ten are also futuristic and ideation, I can run the risk of just rattling off ten thousand new ways we could be coding the product while they're still trying to code the thing I just asked them to do five minutes ago, right? Like I, I can really run a dev team into the ground if I'm not careful. Absolutely. The good news is that you have the communication high, so your ability to then be able to communicate that strategic plan, that strategic vision and how you're going to execute towards it is great, mm -hmm. right? So being able to pair that stuff together. And I, the way I use this is, you know, I, I try to encourage people to have a personal brand. What are you about? What's your elevator pitch about you? Mm -hmm. What is that? What is that sentence? What is that, you know, thing? And so for me, for example, as a strategic at number one and ideation at number two, I can walk in and say, I'm a strategic ideator. Like it's fundamentally what I do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's who I am. And so, and I can go through like all the rest of them, but at the same time, it's like, tr it, it's a good kind of like shortcut to building that brand out. So like, if, you know, I'm thinking about Alan, I'm looking at, you know, someone who can strategically communicate and win over a room. Right. That is, and I can just look at that and say, Hey, that's, that, that's kind of Alan, right, right? right? Like he's going to have a lot of ideas. It's going to be very strategic and I'm going to understand what he's talking about. Cool. Yeah. And the positivity, I mean, it kind of, I think it speaks for itself, right? Like people who are generally like seeing the, seeing the good side, but also like having that energy level and being able to bring that to the table. Yeah. The one that that's awesome, that is not common is activator, Okay, which you have at number five, which is that go button. Yeah. Right now that can also be awesome. Really bad. <laughs> well, honestly, positivity <laughs> has its negative aspects too. Absolutely. Um, I was talking with some friends about this that I'm a horrible judge of spotting the bad person. I tend to give everyone the benefit of the doubt more than I should. I tend to see the the value in everybody, and I'll later on find out that I have a whole group of friends that's like, "Why is he hanging out with that guy? That guy's evil and crooked," you know. And I'm like, "But, but, 
but he pet my cat that one time. <laughs> you know, like I see and, the positive yeah. in people, right? And you have deliberative at 31 and deliberative would be the one that would probably counteract that. Got it. Right. So I'm a hopeless so just, optimist. Is that, is that the conclusion? That's a, may, may, maybe <laughs> just ask your wife. <laughs> nice. But yeah, the activator is the, is the like, let's go. Right. That is, and that is an amazing trait to have. Um, you know, I think I have it at 14. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't see it a lot. It's not a lot of people, especially not in the top 10. That one's a real gift because it's the one that is really that that's driving. It's a driving force. It's not just, I have an idea. It's not just, Oh, I I came up with a plan. It's like, now let's execute. Yeah. And you're going to lead the execution, which is awesome. Yeah. Right. And being able to speak in that language of like every single one of these strengths is awesome in its own right. Right. There is no, hey, this is a great combination. This is a bad combination. Right. There is a potential for amazingness in all of this. And so, like, when you think about things like your personal development and where you want to get better at, you can focus on on this on those strengths and say, hey, I want to be awesome. I want to I want to make sure that this is tuned. I want to focus on tuning this one um, and being awesome at it. The restorative at number six is actually pretty common in security people. I actually had it a lot within within my team. My engineering team had it pretty high. Okay. So what's restorative? So restorative at my engineering team, actually, everybody had restorative at number one. Restorative in, in the bad way is I will spot all of your problems and I'm going to tell you about all the problems I spotted. Okay. So might think of the audit team as maybe having restorative really high, right? Right. <laughs> Restorative in in a good way is I spot the things that are broken or wrong, but I'm able to see how we can make them better. Right. I'm able to see how we can fix them. Here are the opportunities for fixing those things. Like we bought a uh, what I would call a dump of a ranch in on Long Island, and I had I had restorative at number five, and I was like, I know exactly what knocking this thing down and rebuilding it looks like in my head. Okay. Like I had all the pieces of the puzzle put together and knew it. And that was a combination of the strategic, the futuristic and the restorative. Okay. As opposed to just my wife who looked at it and was like, this is a dump. That's it. That was the only thought. Right. This is a dump. <laughs> and so like, but from a security perspective, we look at, we see all the problems. We're like, Oh my God, this thing's broken. But if we had, if we do it well, we also spot the opportunities for making it better. That's cool. Okay. So yeah, I think that's a really great one. Um, so futuristic, we already talked about. Yeah. Empathy is kind of exactly what you what you think it yeah. is, right? Like, how do you how do you relate to others? How do you understand them? That curiosity. Achiever is another one that I saw appear a lot on security teams, mm-hmm. especially on the operations side. And achievers love to finish something. So I have ideation at number two and I have achiever at 24. Ah, you come up with the idea and then you get bored by the time it's about wrapped up. I need the people that have the achiever high up. Yeah. The good news is that having, having strategic means that I can break that into the smaller pieces Mm -hmm. so that then there are the boxes that can be checked. Right. 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 But if you're in a, if you're working at a company where things are moving very quickly you never really finish anything because it's moving so quickly. That's going to drive an achiever crazy. That's going to be very difficult and exhausting for an achiever. So I think it's really about, you know, understanding your own rhythms and the things that, that drive you, energize you. And how do they fit into that puzzle? How do they fit into the, how do the pieces fit together? 
and am I working in the right spot? But I think, you know, when I, when I think about the achievers, it's really the people that, that are doing the things and getting the things done, but making sure that it's broken down so that those boxes are constantly being checked. Right. Like the bad version of achiever right. is someone who only acknowledges when the epic is closed, but not when all of the, when each task gets, you know, done, right. Or each, you know, story, story gets done. Epic, it's like, sure. I didn't finish the epic. And so therefore nothing's good. And right. it's, you know, that that's the bad version. You have to be cheering yourself on as you go. Take those small and providing wins. those check marks. Yeah. Take the wins. Yep. I like it. Okay. And then ideation. I think that one's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. That's in my top 10 as well. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that one. I mean, I think it's a, it's a really, you know, I think it's a really interesting one. I, I love it. I mean, I get, I get amped up just thinking about coming up with ideas. So yeah. Yeah. I totally relate to that. You know, I'm going back to activator in my top five. One thing I've learned in my life is that I can be sitting around the table having a chat and we're all just chatting about what could be. And at some point I go, that's it. We're doing it. And I'm always the guy that says, that's it. We're doing it. And sometimes I'm leaving people in the dust. Like they thought they were having a conversation and the next thing they know I'm out in the driveway, taking a car apart or whatever the conversation might've been about. Right. Like that's it. We're doing it. And I leave people behind so often when I pull that switch and say, that's it, we're doing it. Um, I, I don't think everybody just switches from chatting about it to doing it so quickly. And and I can leave people in the dust on that one. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, if you you have activator, if you have activator, empathy, woo, like you're, you're the cruise director, right? Yeah. You're, the, you're the person that wants to get people together and get people moving and, and all those fun things. Like that's a great, those are great strengths to have for like an HR person building culture, right? And, you know? things like that right. um, becomes huge. So it's, you know, trying to understand those, those strengths. And part of my goal is trying to, I, I, I like using this to try to find career paths for people. Nice. Right. I, I don't know what it was like for you, but for me, it was, I started my career in pen testing uh-huh. and I came to realize over the course of the year that I hated it. And I hate it because like pen testing is an art. I am not an artist, but I can also use this as a roadmap to basically say, Hey, where do I fit? Right. Like what, what should I try next? And so taking even people who have no security expertise, but this can help identify aptitudes, right? Mm-hmm. Of, Hey, you're actually a shape that fits in with a GRC team. Like, let's see if there's a way for you to, to try that out. Right. And instead of wasting years iterating to finally end up in the thing that, that you love right. and that energizes you, maybe we can shortcut that. Right. Right. Maybe we can find that pathway faster and bring more people into the field. So there's a challenge here. And I'm I'm, I'm reminded of the time we had uh, Omkar Arasaratnam on the show and he and I started solutioning on the spot. The, I think the activator thing kicked in. I think he's probably a high activator as well. We were talking about supply chain and the next thing you know, we got a project. But my, my first thought is that you and I should sit down and break out the entire mm-hmm. cybersecurity world and the roles and the teams and list what we think the strengths are that jive with that role and publish a matrix for people like go, go, go spend your 50 bucks, take your Clifton strengths. And, and if you come out with a ABCD, well, look over here, there's a perfect role for an ABCD over here. You know, that kind of thing. We can actually put together the cyber job role, Clifton strengths, cross-reference chart. And that could be fun to do. I mean, call to action. Hey, everybody have your teams take these and send me their, their roles and what that top 10 looked like. And let's uh, use that as a statistical analysis across the industry. I love this. Let's, right? all right, we're going to crowdsource this folks. So pay attention. It's, <laughs> I, I forget where, I think it was gallup.com or something. It was 50 bucks. I took the test. I got my printout. It was fun and cool. 
feel free to do it and, and share with us and reach out on LinkedIn. That would be awesome. It's a good time. All right. So now for grins and giggles, <laughs> let's look at the bottom five. Oh man, the bottom. Well, Alan, listen, we, we're pretty close to the same. We have the same bottom three and, and we're pretty close to the same bottom five. Interesting. And, and the way that I use this is because these bottom ones are key to our jobs. Yes. Like as, as security professionals, these ones are key to our jobs to some extent. And so the way I use this is it's how I prioritize my time. Mm-hmm. So because these things are draining, I find the time when I have the most energy to do these things instead of waiting until I'm already tired at the end of the day. Right. You know, so the bottom ones for Alan, uh, the bottom three of the same ones that I have are discipline, harmony, and consistency. Yep. Can you follow a procedure over and over and over again and stay on that procedure? Not Can without stabbing my own Alan? eyes out. <laughs> go, go do this thing. And, and so, you know, that's really, you know, and understanding that, right? If you have somebody on your team and you're like, you have to follow a playbook and they have these things at the bottom and they're supposed to do that all day long, they're going to be exhausted. Mm-hmm. They are. This is not going to be their jam. Yep. And so, you know, they're the things that, so like consistency is exactly, you know, what it sounds like. It's are, are you able to do the same thing in the same way over and over, right. over and over and over again? Are you able to pump out that widget over and over and over again? You can see why that would j- not jive well with strategic and ideation and activator and right, everything right, else. Right. Like, no, no, set me free. Right. Harmony. <laughs> Harmony is a great one. It's, you know, trying to get everybody on the same page, right? right. Like I, be, being an obsessive consensus builder. Okay. Right. Okay. Versus, hey, I, we have enough information. Um, I'm sorry. I can't please everybody. We're going to go. You know, so the, the act of getting everyone on the same page and having everyone agree is, is something that is, that is draining. Yes. Right. Yes. And so again, it's a, Hey, let's do that early in the morning for me. Like that, that's really, right. you know, when I have my energy and I'm not distracted, like let's get that done early in the morning. I got it. I got it. And disciplines being able to stay kind of like that on, on task, right? Like stay very, you know, uh, a focus falls into that, into that similar, similar area. And being able to, to to manage through that, and then the deliberative one is again. I, like, I think I have that one at I have that one at thirty. You have that at thirty one. Yeah, that's the like let's let's think through all the different permutations of risk. For example, right, right, right. Or, or the nuances of this new feature I'm asking for. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, but the benefit here is that. Part of what I do is I know that within my circles, I have people who have deliberative very high. Mm-hmm. So I give them a call like, hey, what what am I missing? Right. I want to tap into your deliberative. Right, right, right. right. So it's really that, you know, slower paced, slow thinking, let's look at all the angles, you know, type of mindset. The fifth lowest one for you is maximizer. Maximizer is really someone who takes something that's already good and just wants to make that that thing great. These are your like coaches, right? Yeah. Though, like someone who's got maximizer high up, it's like, make that person a coach, make that person a mentor. You know, that person's going to want to make everything better right. and they're going to do it until they can't do it anymore. Right, right, right. Okay. Versus I've got the good enough syndrome and move on to the next activation. Exactly. I mean, and again, it's not to say that you can't do it. Right. It's just not the thing that energizes you. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fuss with taking it from B plus to A plus. I'm going to go create another B plus. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. 
I get it. I get it. Well, this is this is fascinating. This is fun. I'm being taken apart here live on a podcast, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm getting it. I mean, this makes good sense. And and I think Nick is right to all of our listeners. Like, I think it was fifty bucks um, to go take the test, yeah. or thirty nine or forty nine, something like that. Go take the Clifton Strengths test and reach out on LinkedIn and share results. And I think we're going to try to put together a Clifton Strengths versus the cyber industry kind of a a little plug and play <laughs> grid. It could be really fun. That's right. I think this could be real fun to do, and we could all learn from it. And to Nick's point, if you can shortcut wasting years of your life beating your desk on your forehead because you can't find your space in the working world, like, boy, what a quick way to get there. I need a job that gives me X, Y, and Z, you know? And, and to quickly be able to identify whether or not you're, you know, if, if you're if you're working in your top 10, you're energized. Yeah. Like, you're, you're loving life. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and that's finding those pathways, I think, becomes real, they become very interesting career conversations. So the way I use this with my with my teams is really around saying, let's not just have a, a, a professional development plan. Let's have a personal development plan. Mm-hmm. Right. Professional development plans focus on some skills. It's focused on like, let's do that presentation skills class, you know, et cetera. But the personal development plan is now that thing is a thing that's really going to make people know that you care about them. Right. And to say, we're going to pick one of these and we're just going to focus on that. I think it has so much meaning to people at that point to be able to say, oh, yeah, let's do that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I don't know anybody who's taken their professional development plan and be like, I'm so excited about this. This is amazing. They're like, no, man, I got to take these stupid presentation skills classes right, and right. negotiation skills and whatever. Um, I think you get a, you can get a lot more excitement and buy-in from people when you frame it in this way of like, I'm not just looking to make you a better you know, security person or a better lawyer or better whatever. Like, let's make you a better person. And let's, and let's get you feeling better about what you do with the majority of your time and your, on, on yeah. your short time on this planet. Exactly. Exactly. That's good. That's real good. Well, listen, Nick, I got one question I ask every guest at the end of the show. And this has been a phenomenal conversation. This is good. This is going to be one of our long ones. I knew it was before we got into it. I knew you and I were going to geek out on this one, but I got to close it with the same question I ask every time, which is what have you learned outside of cybersecurity that helps you in cybersecurity? So I was on a a trip to Italy and uh, I had a tour guide who she said to us, she's like, you know, Italians, they're a little different. You know, we're, they run around, they're loud. You know, just because they do it that way, it's not right. It's not wrong. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And I took that and I was like, I spent my entire career being so upset when people didn't agree with me. But in reality, if I give them the right information, they make a decision. They don't have to make the same decision I make. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that allows that, 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 one sentence and i think we were in like florence and i was like oh my god that just changed my life i can now be more objective in my thinking and how i respond to someone's other decision versus taking it personally i love it well nick vga thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch thank you listeners i'll be good now <laughs>